0: On this episode of Aka Education, Justin chats with arranger and performer Dan Satter about merging musical theater and a cappella and his process for recording. Dan provides listeners with some tips on what they can do to record both audio and video on a limited budget. Let's get ready. Aka Education starts now. It's the Aka Education Podcast. The Aka
1: Education Podcast. You get not out of these pups. How to arrange? Do 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 Arka education podcast, Arka Education Our Podcast?
0: Justin Glodish, Hey everybody, it's Justin Glodish here with another exciting episode of the Aka Education Podcast here with episode 54. And this week, my guest is Dan Satter, who is an arranger, transcriber, singer, does it all vocally, vocal percussionist. I mean, this dude is amazing. Uh, he just recently released a music video for the song For Forever from one of my favorite musicals, Dear Evan Hansen. Um, And he is a teacher at Bethel Music Center in Connecticut, graduate from Western Connecticut University. He's amazing. Dan, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Now, one of the questions that I feel I should always ask um, people who come onto the show is, what drew you to acapella? Why acapella?
1: So for me, as a child, my dad was in a barbershop chorus. He still is to this day. He's in a barbershop chorus, a local chapter. Uh, And he's been in it since before I was born. And when I remember going to his concerts, they would blow the pitch pipe. And I probably have, I got a pitch pipe lying around right here. Um, And they would like start like humming their starting pitches. And over time, I would be able to kind of guess the next starting note. Like if they had done like, root fifth root i would be able to guess third um so that that's what kind of draw me to like harmony and then just realizing that like every single person's voice is so different and every single person's voice has a unique story to tell. That's Mm. what really drew me to acapella. And that's what drew us to acapella. Like when I was in high school, this, we were, we were obsessed with a sing off. Um, and it started with the year that Pentatonix won. And we were, we were so in awe of what all these different groups could do. And it was actually the runners up, the Dartmouth airs that inspired me to start arranging, uh, Mm. because one of my high school, um, One of my high school friends went to Dartmouth and was in the Dartmouth airs and they did a concert at my high school and they did all these really fun arrangements. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what can be done with the human voice. Like I, I'd been in choir since, um, I was actually, I started in choir late in kind of the, you know, the acapella career. I I started singing really in sophomore year of high school, um, Mm -hmm. because when I was a kid, uh, I had been diagnosed with pretty heavy ADHD, and they thought, well, you kind of go to a, a magnet school where music isn't really the like the main focus. So you can either have recess every time you're supposed to, or you can kind of take a couple t- uh, recesses out of the week and go to chorus class. And I didn't really start singing until my sophomore year of high school. And I was, I did musicals all throughout high school and college. And the thing that really just drew me was how one person's voice could just tell such an amazing story. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, you know, it's fascinating how you
0: said, you know, your dad was involved in this barbershop group. And then you mentioned the sing off and, you know, I, I keep forgetting how, you know, you're, I mean, I'm going to age myself here. You're a lot younger than I am. And when you say you were in high school, when Pentatonix first, you know, was on the show, it's like, wow, he's, he's really phenomenal at such a young age. And you know, what's, what's awesome to me is knowing that, um, you know, you, you say you have ADHD, but you found music to be kind of, you know, something that kind of, I guess, brought you in, in a sense. Um, and that helped you, you know, you said you did all your musicals in high school. You also, participated in an opera in college you know you were music director of the acapella group in college you know all of these things all really derived from literally like you said hearing your dad's barbershop chorus blowing a pitch pipe And that just blows my mind how that's has stuck with you for that long you know
1: yeah so, um
0: yeah yeah um, now, what I what I also found is that, um, you know, in, you know, the little questionnaire that I usually do before these shows is that you participated in uh, the Broadway Goes acapella concerts um, yes. at, you know, in New York City at Feinstein's in uh, 54 Below, which mm-hmm. um, one of the previous guests I had on the show, Evan Feist, you know, had a hand in kind of putting all that together. So what was that experience like being able to work with so many different people, strictly bringing... Um, Broadway um, in an acapella style.
1: That was kind of a surreal experience for me because I hadn't ever like gone to New York to perform for anything. Mm-hmm. And I saw a, one of the first few friends who like friend requested me on Facebook after I started putting acapella stuff out was Brian Guffey. And they said, uh, I, I unfortunately can't make this gig. Is anybody available in New York? And I was like, sure. Yeah, I could do that. And, I I went in for the two songs that I was doing. I was supposed to sing baritone for both and ended up having to learn a new baritone, a new bass part for uh, Sondheim's Not Getting Married Today from Company, uh, which was a lot of one, five, one, five. But it was so surreal to kind of experience all these different people who are so knowledgeable in acapella and in musical theater like coming together for this like i i participated in the second one that was the one i subbed in for the third one i was invited back for and i was in a couple of songs and i had actually arranged a song for that because i thought this was so cool like I I had, I had just done wild party at a local community theater and I thought mm-hmm. what would what would these songs sound like a cappella ever since I participated in that series and that kind of brought itself to the idea that like every person's voice is so unique every person's voice has something unique to tell so why not just add more voices to that <laughs> so like <laughs> I, I, I wanted to arrange something for that. And then the fourth one, the, la- the most recent one that we did um, that was in the December of 2019, I was in like eight plus songs and mm-hmm. I got to meet, you know, such amazing like superstars of acapella, like Barry Carl. I got to talk yep. to with him about, you know, bass stuff. I met Tim Faust on the first mm-hmm. uh, acapella one that I did um, and he, he gave me some really cool pointers and stuff like that. He gave me some critiques on the on the bass song that I was doing. Um, and it was just, it was such a cool and inviting atmosphere. Um, you know, Charlie Arthur, I learned so much about, um, you know, how to lead from him. Like it was, it was just so, it was just so cool watching these, these really incredible people put on this kind of thing. Awesome. And, you know, first off, I actually, I think I
0: remember that message going out from Brian, um, asking, uh, Someone to fill in for them. And that was, that's awesome that you had that opportunity. And just to learn from, you know, Barry Carl, who um, is just, you know, one of the found, like, not necessarily one of the founding members, but he was one of the first real members of Rockapella that most people remember from where in the world is Carmen San Diego. and then Tim, you know, Home Free. And so that's cool that you got to work with them. And you mentioned that you actually started arranging and you brought some arrangements into the fold. So mm-hmm. um, that kind of leads me into this next part is um, you know, your love of musical and your arrangement of "For forever, which you had mm-hmm. just released um, a little bit after the film was released. So um, what was it like arranging one, a Pasek and Paul piece, which has a lot of like pop elements into it anyways. Um, but two going through the whole process. Cause I believe it, it was all you. You know, um, so what was it like, um, going, uh, getting into the, into arranging and then taking the song and diving into the character and making it your own?
1: So from the beginning, I knew that like something in that song, I I knew that song told such a great story. Like I knew that there would be you know a ton of covers of waving through a window. Mm-hmm. You know there there would be a ton of covers of other songs from that show. But I knew that not a lot of people would go for that song because one, it's a long song. It's like five and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. And two, it's it's such it it does have a lot of those really intricate pop elements. So what I did was uh, this was this was during uh, a choir tour that I was subbing in for. I was singing with the Southern Connecticut State University's uh, choir uh, on their tour of Italy right at the turn of 2020. Mm. Um, So we we started end of December and stayed over a couple days in January. Um, And I I had actually made a point of arranging a different song, but I had downloaded the audio, the uh, piano reduction And I brought my laptop with me and through the course of that trip, whenever we had like, you know, a spare moment in the hotel or like, you know, when we were driving somewhere on the bus, I would just, you know, plug in and just, you know, um, think about how different elements could be interpreted acapella so like mm-hmm. i would look at you know the just the piano reduction i didn't have the full score um which probably would have been a better idea than probably <laughs> than, than trying to you know take out okay what are the two violins doing here okay i kind of see what they're doing um so that that's also where transcribing helped uh helped me but for some of for some of those like moments in the song that don't take place in the original song like this big buildup that happens during the last chorus that was like an idea that uh, my girlfriend and I like kind of brainstormed together she had come up with the idea of like well you've been doing the song pretty faithfully mm-hmm. up until now like why not switch it up and I was like, Yeah. Yeah. People are going to be like, okay, this is just a carbon copy of the original. Um, So I kind of finished the arrangement. I added vocal percussion months later once the pandemic was done uh, Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I wasn't going to try and transcribe drum parts um, without being like, okay, what's going on here? Um, (laughs) So I, uh, I actually started that recording process probably like mid to late, mid August, mid to late August. And I would I would sit with my phone on uh, on my desk with a tuner app open and think, okay how well in tune was that that I won't need to fix that really all that much with Melodyne later? Um, Mm -hmm. And before that was, you know, weeks and weeks of just going through each part and thinking, okay does this sound good on its own? How is it serving the rest of the arrangement? And wh- how am I going to mix it? Because I knew I wanted to mix it myself. There was, there was no way that once I arranged it in MuseScore that I wouldn't be able to hear anybody else, you know, mix this. Um, I had my friend Mark uh, do some mixing for the vocal percussion and some little mixing stuff here and there. Um, but overall, I wanted the voices to be mixed by me. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I was thinking about different mixing techniques while I was arranging. I was thinking about you know if I had a low note here, was I going to do that in chest voice or was I going to do that in subharmonics or was I going to do that in growl? Um, so that was kind of like everything. I knew how I wanted each measure to be performed, mm-hmm. and and I knew that when I was recording it, I had to I had to bring it. I had to I had to not only just sing the parts but I had to perform them. You know each individual line. So I went section by section. You know I I did the first little intro that's very kind of just you know that. F note just holding out the entire way through Um, and I kind of went just section by section going from you know what I was comfortable with that day uh, baritone up to alto maybe soprano too and then I would have specific days where I would just do bass recordings um, and or I would have some days where I would just do soprano recordings and then at the end of all of that I recorded the solo because I Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that I had a nice solid foundation for the solo to sit on because i knew i didn't want to kind of um record it all separately record the entire thing separately because then it wouldn't sound like one thoroughly like one through composed thing um Mm -hmm. and i feel like that also lends itself to musical theater you know most of the time you're only gonna get one take uh Mm -hmm. so i i wanted to make sure that i got everything exactly the way that i wanted it to because again Musical theater is, you know, you get, you know, however many performances you do, but with a recording, you get one shot. Um, right. So I knew I wanted to make sure that it was all nice and 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 emotional and and it's in its intention of everything. Um, then I went to mixing. Um, I kind of, you know, I kind of. Uh, was a little behind the ball on that one because I was trying to release it ahead of the movie and I didn't realize how much time it would take to fully <laughs> mix something of this size. It's like 13 parts and there's some divisies in there and vocal percussion and solo. Um, I think it's like 80 tracks total with vocal wow. percussion. Um, um, yeah, or it's somewhere between 80 and hundred. Um, and I, I just kind of went into Melodyne and just got it to a point where it was okay enough And then uh, I recorded the music video Um, Mm -hmm. and that that went that was such a cool thing to do because I was working with my videographer uh, Galusha and he was just like really helpful in like offering these different ideas because he also had really liked the song and it was it was cool to kind of, um, you know, see the song evolve from that beginning point when I first laid down the first, you know, the first F note of the entire thing to you know the final release uh, and I got to learn about you know how long it takes to upload a cover to Spotify and cover licenses and how that should probably be uh, thought about when you're releasing an <laughs> acapella cover um, but it was it was an amazing experience and I, I, I still I, I, I love the track and how it turned out and I, I'm so thankful for the people that helped me along the way and helped inspire me along the way too.
0: Nice. And I will actually be putting the music video link to the music video in the episode description. So people who, you know, listen to this will be able to actually click on the link and go uh, listen to it. And it's so funny that you mentioned Galusha's name because I'm actually interviewing him for (laughs) next week's podcast. So uh, it's like a back-to-back kind of thing. That's that's pretty cool that uh, the two of you are able to work hand in hand. Now, a lot of the things that you had mentioned talked about emotional, you know, being emotional and having that emotional arc. And, you know, when you were music director of your um, collegiate group, um, just out of curiosity, what were some things that you tried to convey to to essentially your peers um, to make sure that you were all on the same page? Because I mean, at least, you know, for me, my own experience in my collegiate group, not everyone was a music major, you know, there were, there were students, uh, and, you know, some of my buddies who, you know, were, um, elementary ed majors or they were science majors or whatever, but singing was a passion of theirs. So just out of curiosity, how did you, what were some of the things that you did to, this is an educational term here. How did you differentiate the instruction,
1: <laughs> if you will, um, with, uh, your, your group members in college? So when I took over, I took over two groups at the same time. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And it, that was that was even like in the same semester that I was taking conducting classes. So <laughs> that was that was a fun kind of just toss me into the fire kind of approach. But when I took over, so I took over my co-ed group and the all-male group. Um, okay. And the all-male group was pretty strong in standing when I took over it. You know, a lot of the people had stuck around from the turn of the spring to the fall, with the co-ed group, we had so many people graduate or leave the group because of like you know scheduling conflicts or you know just busy lives that we were down to four people. Oh wow! It, it was literally me on base. And then we literally had a SATB. Um, we barely managed to scrounge together a couple people to perform at the freshman orientation um, mm. that kind of gained interest and got people to audition for us. And I think if it hadn't been for that, the group probably would not exist today. Um, mm. But when I took over, we we just kind of had this huge influx of different people from like the bunch of different backgrounds um, who had never really, you know, talked to each other. Um, and then over the course of you know, the next few years, as my as my term as music director, we got more music majors interested. We got more people who knew how to read music. But a lot of them hadn't either been in an acapella group before or hadn't really learned to read music. Um, which was which was definitely a challenge because how do you, as an arranger, arrange something that's both fun to listen to and sing? while being easy to learn and easy to retain, right? Because not everybody is going to understand solfege. Not everybody is going to understand, you know, hearing somebody's note and then thinking intervallically what your note would be because of it. Um, a lot of our concerts would have to start with me giving each individual starting pitch um, and that's and that's totally fine if you're a music director and that's something that you have to do if if your group isn't able to hear one singular pitch and find their notes based on it that's totally fine um, but, What I had to do was, I kind of had to like immerse myself in the a cappella world. I was listening to, of course, pentatonics. I was listening to the nor'easters and faux pas. I was listening to, you know, all the what all I was listening to what good collegiate groups did. And uh, what I learned was that a lot of them kind of went a little bit more simplistic routes if something was you know if they were going to imitate a guitar they would imitate a guitar they wouldn't try and think of you know intricate ways around it they would go for what elements they wanted to replicate um and most of the time when we started when i started the music directing the co-ed group we mostly stuck to uh, strictly four parts um Mm -hmm. and and vocal percussion and 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 maybe a lead on top that's that's kind of what we that's that was kind of the main foundation of our group, and then we would kind of learn. Okay, well, we've got enough sopranos that we can kind of split it to SSA, TB, mm-hmm. um, and then we kind of got more tenors in the group, um, and then we kind of got more. Baritones and altos in the group, um, so it was it was an interesting situation too because you know you you can have a group where say like one part doesn't read as well whereas another part does so you can think okay well I'm going to give maybe a little bit more of the rhythmic lines to this part and some of the more pad lines to the parts that you maybe don't read as well but you still have to think okay well I don't want them to think I'm giving them the less interesting part we have to we have to kind of think about the overall piece and how everything fits together. Um, and that's something that when I was arranging and when I was transcribing and analyzing on my YouTube channel that I had that I would pick out and see, okay, well this sounds like this because of this. And then I would take that and see how I can incorporate that into my arrangements. My first arrangements were a lot of copying and pasting. My, My first arrangement that I did, uh, like any, any written down arrangement was gravity by Sarah Bareilles. And that was very, very heavily based off of the Sonos recording, uh, Mm -hmm. because I was like, okay, this works really well. Let me see what works about it. Um, and then I started getting more and more original with my, uh, arrangements and some of them still, I will stay pretty faithful to the original song because that's what connected with people in the first place.
0: Nice. Um, so, I guess my next question would have to be um, in terms of your arranging, you know, a lot of people, they are the, let's use finale. Let's use Sibelius. Let's, you know what? Some people like to just go into logic or go into garage band and record all the parts that way and give out learning tracks and, you know, teach, you know, groups by rope or whatever. Um, you use MuseScore, which, you know, I've used MuseScore in the past. Um, it's a great program. And, um, but you, you stand by it. Um, what is it about MuseScore uh, that stands out um, for you? Just out of it, curiosity.
1: It is really free. Um, <laughs> that's that's what immediately drew me to it because I needed something to write down the parts. I wasn't going to write them down by hand and then photocopy them. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I, I was looking online and somebody had told me, oh, MuseScore is this like free software And there's like this online community for it, and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, let me let me try and just play around with it and see what I can come up with. And I found this one sound uh, that they did that they changed when they changed over to MuseScore three. In MuseScore two, the synth bass two, which I liked because it had a percussive attack, no decay. So if you if you gave it a note that you know held on for. 15 measures like some of the some of the parts in for forever it would still be playing right Mm -hmm. if most people they'll either give it to a choir sound the choir ah or ooh or synth voice or they'll just have a piano play it which can be good but for me i like to hear how something is overlapping or how something is gonna you know that like the The feeling of that like stretch or the feeling of Mm -hmm. that like, you know, duration of note kind of gives me an idea for what else is needed. Right. If you hear uh, like a whole note being played out on a piano, right, you hit the note and it's gone. It's immediately decaying. Um, So I wouldn't know what something would sound like until I gave it to my singers and I wanted to be prepared as possible when I was handing them a new arrangement. I wanted to know exactly how everything needed to be sung and how to get there. So I, I liked the idea of hearing a sustain in the voice. I liked the idea of hearing it percussive because if you gave it to a bass, they would I would know how that would play out. And it was just, it's a very powerful resource. It's It's on the level of a lot of functionality in terms of the professional notation software. I know it's not the prettiest notation software. Um, but it's I mean, in, at the end of the day, the audience isn't gonna be looking at Muse Score. They're gonna be right. hearing the performance. <laughs> um so yeah, to me, I just kind of learned to get creative with it and create in MuseScore that I just kind of haven't stepped out from that. Um over the next few years I am going to try and teach myself how to use like either finale or Sibelius just so that I can, you know, hand stuff to professional, (laughs) professional (laughs) people without them being like, ah, there's me a score. Um, (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been a very, you know, useful program for me and I've, I've kind of learned it and gotten used to it on that. So I figured if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's awesome.
0: And you know, when it came down to like, I like that you mentioned functionality because you know, with a lot of groups these days, Um, especially in say like a middle school setting like myself or in a high school setting, you know, we're not just talking about collegiate anymore. We're talking about these younger groups. Um, Music technology actually seems to be a driving force in some school music programs now. Mm -hmm. So something like MuseScore, when you use the word free, a lot of districts look at that as a, ooh, that's a, that's a nice word. And that seems to be something that, you know, they might actually have in line for the students to use. So, um, you know, using and having something that is, um, familiar, I would say, and easy to use. I mean, I, when I first started using MuseScore, I found that, you know, it, it took Mm -hmm. a couple, couple days to kind of get used to, but once you figured out shortcuts and keystrokes and things like that, it really became easy, you know, and one of the other programs that I see used a lot in, in the middle school and high school setting is NoteFlight, which right. is, is very similar. Um, you know, it's another cloud-based program where, you know, I mean, that's a cloud-based program. You can log into any computer and then you can continue working on something regardless of where you're at. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I also found that to me, MuseScore actually was easier than NoteFlight Um, because with NoteFlight, sometimes when you go into like record instruments, um, it got wonky and it was like kind of like weird how to, to navigate. So, um, I like to, I like knowing that, you know, there's other MuseScore score users out there who are like big into acapella. And, you know, one of the things I was, I was telling you before I we hit record here was, you know, MuseScore score is one of the spots that I go to, to look for acapella, um, arrangements sometimes simply because it's such a collaborative community, you know, and, um, Usually, you go on the J.W. Pepper. You got like typical, you know. Brian Sharp's a great arranger. You know, he does some great things for right. the high school groups out in Ohio. But then, you know, you got you know your folks like, you know, Mac Huff and and Roger Emerson, right, who are Roger. you know typical choral arrangers mm-hmm. that are arranging in this acapella setting. But I'd rather have so like, and that, this is not a knock on them. This I would totally want somebody who has the experience of, you know, directing their own musical group and, and really like understands how intricate these lines should be for each of their voices. So, um, it's, it's nice knowing that I'm not the only person who, um, enjoys music score. So,
1: right. And Um, that, that also does kind of lend itself to the idea that we were talking about before with people of differing, varying abilities in terms of, you know, reading and being, and vocal abilities, you know, not everybody is going to be able to handle a pentatonic style run, let alone with, you know, a choir and 15 people on a part. So it's good to have Uh, different abilities and different tool sets that you can kind of pull from in order to get a desired effect. And it's good to see those on such a free and open source community like MuseScore. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, um, we've hit the the beginning of 2022, which usually is a... um, You know, a marker for the beginning of the second half of the school year, you know, um, in about a week or two, most colleges are going to be going back in into um, school for spring semester, Um, second quarter or second trimester is about to end for, you know, schools around the country, and this is usually the time where. Um, We start looking at ICHSA, ICCA competitions happening. Um, We're starting to see um, music in our schools month-type concerts in March and preparing for May concerts. But also some schools and some programs like to start looking at end-of-year slash large-scale projects like recording an album or recording a music video for a song that they have recorded. So I guess uh, my question for you is what is – your process i know that you went through your process for four forever but for somebody who's new and very novice in the recording field and they're they they do not have the money and fundraising is difficult what are some you know maybe um what's some equipment that they could potentially use um what about space you know what would they use to as a recording space so they're not you know shelling out money to go to the recording studio what are some tips and suggestions you have for some people who might be looking into those ideas and those projects this year
1: So one thing that is very important when it comes to recording audio is just having a good space, right? If you're (laughs) rehearsing in a choir room, most likely you're going to have acoustics that echo Mm -hmm. um, depending on whatever room you're working with. So you wouldn't want to record, you know, individual people in that choir room Uh, for the spring of 2021. The high school that I work with as a music director for their musicals we were doing a streamed uh, virtual like musical review. so we were recording a bunch of different songs from different shows either that they had done in the past or diff- just songs that they knew that their kids could sing well. and we recorded it in a pop- in a prop closet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just I, I went into the school into the choir room and I looked at a couple of the rooms that were right next door. And I saw one that kind of had like, you know, a little workbench, and it had these kind of not acoustic foam, but like this kind of padding on the walls. And I turned towards and I clapped and I noticed that there wasn't really that much of an echo. There was no room hum. Um, The clock would buzz a very like half hour or something like that. that. But other than that, it was a good enough space for me to record. in. now I'm, speaking into a relatively cheap microphone this is an mxl 990 that i got part with part of the 990 and 991 bundle which comes in at about a hundred dollars which oh, is wow. not a bad price for two condenser microphones um mm-hmm. and then that's going into a focus right scarlet 2i2 um you know the standard you know Mic uh, audio interface, and then that's going into uh, Logic. Uh, and for educators, you can actually get a bundle, uh, an education bundle of Final Cut, Logic, uh, and then a motion compressor and main stage, all mm-hmm. for the price of two hundred dollars. Yes. Um, which, when I was, you know, as a education student and working in the education field, I was stoked about because. I've heard so many amazing people talk about Logic Pro. One of my favorite musicians that I look up to so much is Jacob Collier. And the fact that mm-hmm. he is so steadfast on Logic is was just such like, a oh, if he can make music in Logic and win Grammys for it, then I can make music in Logic. Um, so getting just some way to record audio... And you don't even really need that much expensive microphones. You can deal with, you know, a Yeti microphone or a blue microphone or like some cheap USB microphone, something mm-hmm. that just doesn't make your voice sound tinny. Um, and then, you know, just learning about, you know, mic placement, you know, not to be too far back from the mic and, you know, not to have the kids too close to the mic because mm-hmm. different things will want different proximities. Um and then the other thing that I would say is make yourself a spreadsheet um, mm-hmm. with all of the uh, the names of the kids that you have to record, what parts they're doing. Um, and that that was something that I had to learn how to rehearse over Zoom during the pandemic was we would be on Zoom. And for the three company numbers that we did, everybody was there. And we would kind of go section by section, like little like four bar or 18 bar phrases. Um and they would just sing their part all the way through with an accompaniment track, uh, with like a guide vocal that I, or not or even with just like a guide trumpet playing their part. Um, for one of the songs we actually sang, You Will Be Found, um, the choral arrangement, I think it's Roger Emerson, um, that um, I, made, I made guide vocals to. I made reference tracks so that they knew how to sing something like that. Um, because I didn't want them to sing it, you know, as stiffly as say, you know, um, Bruce from Matilda, which is very, you know, very strict and very rhythmic. Um, so I knew that I had to get them all sounding good on their own so that when we recorded them, they were able to do that. Um, so yeah, just make a spreadsheet for like when you've rehearsed it, when the audio is recorded, um, like when you've got like a good audio and like when you want to film to that Um, because that that will save you a lot of mental (laughs) mental anxiety from from that because then you don't have to worry about oh my gosh I haven't gotten this person because they haven't been able to come in during like their study hall or whatever Um, it's it's fine it's all it's all labeled there Um, and just kind of Make sure they know what they're doing before they record. Um, you know, if you if you put in good, you're gonna get out good. Um, there's there's no real way around it. You know, you can have somebody sing, you know, a really in tune, rhythmically precise performance, but if it doesn't have that emotion to it, nobody's gonna really want to listen to it. Um, so I I used you know I used my knowledge of pitch correction, which Logic actually has. It has you know mm-hmm. a pretty decent pitch correction program called flex pitch. Um, but I, I got Melodyne because I wanted to get more work in that because I knew I wanted to produce professional acapella and you need like studio Melodyne if you want to produce the the 110 track monstrosity that is for forever. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was just great experience for me to learn how to record something like that because you learn how to get the best performances out of everybody, right? When I was recording all of the solo kids, they were just—it was just me and them. You know, they were on the other side of a door with their mask off. I was on in the hallway uh, with the cable running underneath the door to my laptop at a desk, and mm-hmm. I would tell them, you know, um, maybe just kind of go a little bit more towards shouty on this part, or um, just maybe just like really hit that downbeat a little bit stronger, or really just think about the emotion of the song, and it got really great uh, results out of them and I didn't really have to do a whole lot of pitch correction because one they were really good kids um, Mm -hmm. and two because they had put in the work Um, the preparedness on their part helped me immensely
0: yeah I think and preparedness is (laughs) that's really the name of the game you know I, I have known of you know some people who they use the, what's the phrase? Uh, we'll fix it in post-production. And that's like, that's a bad way to look at it. You know, if if you're not given a good product right away, there's only so much that post-production can do, you know?
1: Yeah, and that's that's why with the two company numbers that I gave that, with the three company numbers that I gave them, two of them were like MIDI tracks that I had built in MuseScore. Uh, and I had given them all parts with just a trumpet playing their part, and I mm-hmm. knew because it was, it was from a show that we were supposed to do when everything shut, when the pandemic shut everything down. So they were already pretty familiar with it. But for the You Will Be Found, I was like, there is no way that they're just going to get this from a trumpet being played at them. Like they, yeah. like there's, I was, they have to connect to it emotionally by hearing a human voice sing it. Right. And um, I love that you brought up the education bundle from Apple because
0: I took advantage of that. And you know, for those of you that are listening, um, you know, Dan said it's, it's about two hundred dollars for all of those different programs, like five or six programs, where if you paid for them individually, you'd be spending close to six hundred bucks. You know, uh, I, I kind of did the math. That's like 500, 600 bucks for all of those different programs. So you're literally getting like three for free by using the educator's discount, um, which is a big deal. And one of the other things that Dan said, you know, just to kind of give you the idea you have you know microphone digital audio interface you know program like logic um and logic is mostly for uh is is mac based um you know some people use pro tools which is some people deem the industry standard and whatnot um but there's there are i believe a couple other programs um that can be used but i would I would splurge, go and, you know, spend the money on something like Logic or even something like Pro Tools. That way you have, you know, because a lot of people, if you end up sending it off to someone else, a lot of people who mix and whatnot, those are the programs that they use and it'll be a lot easier to transfer that, that information to them.
1: And, and it's worth it in the long haul if this is something that exactly. you want to produce with your students. Like when my, my I have dreams of like becoming a choir teacher and doing what like JD does, which is just, you know, every year just producing a top-notch quality album with mm-hmm. his high schoolers. Like it's 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 incredible what he does with One Voice, and that's, that's just something that I knew that I wanted to do. So it's a worthwhile investment to get, one, the program, and two, to get versed in it, to know the workaround it because you never know when you're going to be in a professional recording situation.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about JD is that is, is his five-step rehearsal process, Who, yes. you know, yes. talking to so many other educators, they use it. And like, there's a reason why his, his groups are able to record an album a year. It's because they're literally learning a song a week, <laughs> exactly. you know, and, and, and it's, it's the, and those students are putting forth that energy and that effort to, to be as perfect as possible. So by the end of the year, you know, they're winning numerous awards. And I believe they're actually like a Sony act, you know, they're like a Sony label act. And it's a group that changes every year because, you know, they're a high school group. So the fact that it's, it's been as strong as it has is a testament to his teaching, but also a testament to that five-step process, which, you know, I've talked to other educators that they, like, they stand by and they live by one more question I had for you. And it was, it was about the, the videography, um, because, you know, music videos, uh, could be a potential thing. I know that last year with, uh, ICHSA and ICCA, it went to a virtual format where right. it was basically, a, um, and they had full reign to create a music video. Mm-hmm. And, um, you worked with Galush on, uh, you know, your video for four forever. And, you know, in my opinion, you know, the spreadsheet idea is, is perfect for both, you know, making sure that you, you're, you're the audio you know for the audio side but also for the video side but um any suggestions on anyone for anyone who's looking to do maybe a music video this year
1: so the uh, funny that you bring up music videos i'm in a virtual group uh that's like kind of based all around connecticut called first inversion and okay. we we first met in person to film for the icca opens uh mm-hmm. last year and that was a really cool experience because it was a song that one I had arranged and two, I knew that I was going to be the one directing it because I had the most recent iPhone and they were like, sure, <laughs> we'll use that. So I bought a, um, a, a Osmo gimbal, an iPhone gimbal, and I was like practicing with that. Um, so you can splurge and go all out and get a, um, you know, a, a 3d gimbal that'll help you stabilize your video, but something really as simple as, you know, just, a cage for a phone or a tripod can be something that's really effective. Um, I've, I've had experience, you know, working on, you know, movie sets and and uh, TV sets. I've, I've been working with, um, there's a couple of people who are working on like an Amazon series right now. And it's interesting to see what goes in a director's mind. And I kind of used what I had noticed from that And what I had noticed from working on a Hallmark movie, you know, professional production was, okay, you have options all the time. You have so many different options for everything. And so Mm -hmm. what I did was for my score, I printed out my score and I would highlight uh, different things that I knew I wanted to showcase. And I would color code it too in terms of importance. What was the melody? What was, you know, kind of a background vocal that kind of follows it? And what's, you know, like a very supporting note like what's a very supporting part and i would get different i would think of like different angles and stuff like that the other thing is you know you want to know where your lo- location is so you want a location scout um and i had done that with the video that we had shot for first inversion uh we went to um we went to a park with this really cool waterfall um and we filmed our song exile there by taylor swift and then for my cover of for forever I was taking a walk with my girlfriend and her dog, uh, over, a, like by this like field and foresty kind of area. And I was like, oh, this would make a cool spot for like, uh, running through the forest with a friend, but not actually a friend. Um, right. so I knew where I wanted to get shots and even then, on the day of the shoot, John had had this idea of like, well, there's this like open field with like a downed tree overlooking it. Why don't I get some shot a shot of you singing the whole way through, sitting on that tree trunk looking out at the field? And that was one of the one of the best shots that we had had was because it was it was just such a cool like sitting down and it was he, he you know he was moving around and all that stuff, um, but there were there was also a lot of collaboration it's really important for me especially because this has been such in my head for the past year and a half that i was like okay Somebody else needs to look at this and tell me what I'm doing right or what looks good because I don't. Uh, so uh, as much as I like to be in control of the audio aspect and, you know, the performing aspect, I can't control what I look like on video. So that's why in the video I might look a little awkward, but it works with the character. Um, it does. So, <laughs> Um, so what I would do is I would be very open to suggestions. Um, and when we were working with First Inversion, you know, it's that's a six-person group. We would be, like, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other. And, like, I knew I had certain ideas for certain shots that I knew I wanted to make in the final cut. But a lot of the other stuff, I kind of let people kind of bounce ideas off of me, even though I was acting as the quote-unquote director. Um, mm-hmm. So I knew that I could be trusted in these people because I knew that they had good taste and i knew that they had good ideas because this was a song that i made sure that meant a lot to us and that would be inspiring um i think that's kind of what helped the song or the video become so successful that it was was because it inspired all of us like the the arrangement itself came out really easily because it drew like things that i could include and then the video aspect I thought about it as just a different form of storytelling, right? When we arrange, we think of storytelling through the music. And then when we film it, we think about storytelling through the medium of film or a visual aspect.
0: Right. That's awesome. And, you know, these are all great tips. And, you know, for everyone listening out there who is intending on doing one of these large scale picks, um, especially, you know, with everything that's kind of going on still, uh, you know, within your school districts, everyone's got different situations going on. But for those of you that are attempting these large scale projects, take Dan's words, you know, to heart and, you know, jot everything down, spreadsheet it, you know, get it ready to go. And and um, that's
1: and that's also what I was doing was before the shoot, the, before the first inversion shoot, I was looking up, you know, how to be a cinematographer. Like, what are these different like what are angles and how do they convey what you want them to right i learned like how like how different lighting affects different things and if you're outside you're working with the sun so you have to think how is the light working is the light shining on your face or is the light coming in behind you and it's you know completely blocking out your face so you know youtube is just an amazing resource for learning how to become your own cinematographer
0: right yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie uh my middle school group participated in the ICHSA with uh, a music video last year. And that was literally me, you know, not just, you know, in terms of getting right shots, but also getting final cut, you know, mm. pro to like work to my advantage too. There was a lot of things that I didn't know, but um, it was, it's amazing how more much more versed I am. Because of watching YouTube videos on how to, you know, use Final Cut and how to use logic and and things like that. So um, YouTube's a great resource. Google's a great resource too, Mm. you know. So um, Dan, this this has been great. This has been very eye-opening for me as an educator just because I always talk about some of these things. But it's always nice to have someone who is more knowledgeable to (laughs) explain it to me. (laughs) <laughs> so um, uh, Dan Satter, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And like I said, there will be um, links to Dan's video for, for Forever, amongst some other things, uh, just to kind of, you know, keep you informed. So once again, thank you very much. And uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Huge thank you to Dan Satter for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast. Be sure to check out everything that he said in the interview and go check out his music video for 4 Forever. It is amazing. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on all social media accounts at AkaEdPodcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now on TikTok. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at OfficialJGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes released every Monday. You can also now tune into the podcast on Acoville Radio, Acoville.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash akaedpodcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.